doesn't understand. There's a curse upon me. I change into a wolf. Listen to me, Frank. I saw my father become obsessed by his power. He died a horrible death. There's no need for us all to storm after her. She'll come in if I ask her. Why should we treat her so fancy? She's a Frankenstein. Hello everybody and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program where we ask the ever-important question, Is It Yours? Today I am joined, well today I am Paul Spataro as I always am, and I am joined by my buddies, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. Hey Paul, how you doing? I'm good, thank you, thanks for joining me. And in addition, because one Giaconetti is never enough, we also have Jason Giaconetti. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having us. It's going good. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. And we got a kind of a double treat going here. We're going to do two episodes together. You're going to get one now and one later. Uh, basically, I picked one episode and the Jack and Eddie boys picked the other one. So for now, you're going to hear us discuss the, I'm sorry, what year was this? The 1943 uh, American horror film Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. That was my choice. And... Later on, you'll hear another episode with us reviewing a different movie that uh, actually I think Luke picked it, not so much Jason. But, yeah. I, but yeah. I, from the hell yeah that Jason let out when we talked about it, I don't think he had a problem with reviewing the one we're going to do next. <laughs> that was anyway. a legitimate hell yeah, man. So. Hey, hell yeah, man. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah, talking shot. <laughs> but yeah, once uh, Paul, once you threw this one out there, I was I was eager to do it because you know, believe it or not. Something that we get requested fairly often on the oh, vault yeah. is, hey, you guys going to do some Universal Monsters? And we haven't gotten around to doing it. We're doing the Hammer uh, Monster films now. Right. But I, any I heard the first about, one of those. Yes, Curse of Frankenstein. And uh, by the time this comes up, we may or may not have another one out. We, uh, who knows what goes on in, inside the Casa del Honeywell where that, those shows get edited. But, uh, <laughs> but any, any opportunity to do... A universal monster one, and one that has, um, you know, a lot of people have a lot of affection for, like Frankenstein uh, meets the Wolfman. I obviously had to jump at that. So, yeah, this is uh, being being um, growing up. Uh, we obviously uh, my, it's well known. My dad is a huge King Kong fan, but he's a huge Universal monster fan too. And we grew up watching all the Universal monsters. In fact, that was kind of standard fare like uh around halloween time they might you know show one of these or something and someone's like oh man frankenstein's on i'm like oh yeah you ever reason that you could be described the whole movie to them they're like how do you know that it's <laughs> like well how do, you, how do you not know that uh and another thing i mean there was well there was the crestwood books um for those of yes. us that, well the orange crest they were the orange ones we had at our school um, and then there was the purple set, and the Crestwood books were great because you got to like, you know, again, these weren't on TV. Now we owned them. Dad had them all taped, and we would watch them over and over, and in fact, wear out the tapes. 
Um, but you read the Crestwood books, and a lot of that stuff they would they didn't have. I mean, remember the Wolfman is one movie. There's not a sequel to the Wolfman. This is the sequel to the Wolfman, technically, right? Because right. it takes place what four years later or something like that. So unlike Frankenstein, which then you had Bride of Frankenstein, Son of Frankenstein, Ghost of Frankenstein, you know, like there was other Frankenstein movies, but there is no true sequel to the uh, the Wolfman. It's much in the vein, or, or sorry, it's a little different than the Draculas. There actually is no direct sequel to Dracula, because uh, Dracula's daughter and son of Dracula, while in name we're trying to carry that on. The Universal, um, they really didn't get sequels out to uh, certain movies. I mean, if you look at the, the Creature Black Goon, which was one of Luke's favorite growing up, of course, I loved yep. it too, but the creature has three distinct movies. Um, the Mummy, even though... It's Imhotep in the original, and then Kaharis in the later ones. They are still Universal Mummy movies, you know. Um, yeah, they so, all they all come from the same DNA to the point that yes. they use flashbacks to Boris Karloff when uh, Tom Tyler is playing Karis in the second movie to a different character played by a different actor. Yes, it's yeah, it's 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 Imhotep in the first one and Kaharis in the second one. Um, so I think what happens is people who were uh, Wolfman fans like myself. We look at Frank's name used to Wolfman as the sequel, um, you yeah. know, and, and that's why you're like, oh, man. And one of the things I had said to Luke when this came up and I said, wow, you know, that's got a lot of good werewolf move stuff and it. it's got a lot of good Wolfman stuff in it. And it does. This is truly the, a Wolfman movie that happens to have Frankenstein's monster in it. That's exactly right. the what it, I had kinda, watching it's it. Kinda telling. Yeah. It's kind of telling. It's kind of telling. You look at, <clears throat> excuse me, the a couple of years ago when Universal released their first editions of their legacy box sets for the universal monsters mm -hmm. this film was not in the frankenstein box it was in the wolfman box now the new versions yeah. it's in both but the yeah. on the original ones and this definitely is this, this is clearly the sequel to the wolfman and it has some frankenstein stuff thrown in at the you know in the back half of it to kind of you know for more for marketing purposes i think than anything else but uh yeah, so I, I think you're right on. This this one is a, a long has always been a favorite of Wolfman fans more so than necessarily Frankenstein fans, but also fans who like to see monsters fight. But to uh, be well, fair, I think, I think most Wolfman fans are Frankenstein fans, and vice versa. I, yeah, I don't huh? I don't think there's a, a a clear line of distinction between the fans. No, there's no, not, no, but everybody has yeah. their favorites. You know, yes. Yeah, I think what, yeah, what Luke's getting at is that the idea that there was never that that other werewolf move. There was another no, no werewolf. There was no other Wolfman movie True. that um you know where you could gonna go to and sit and it was it it just was one of those the Frankenstein's had uh, movies that featured the monster much more prominently than this. Uh, so, I mean, again, I think I think you know what happens is you're I mean you're a fan of Universal uh, horror. Um, or, or I don't know what's wrong with you, but I mean, cause let's be honest, I, everyone <laughs> loves this stuff. Well, but I'm being serious. Like it's, it's, no, it's hard. True, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe you haven't seen them in 20 years or maybe you haven't, whatever you were like, like, Oh man, I, the, when you, when we talk, we've talked about this, uh, on the curse of Frankenstein episode, uh, of the vault. Um, we, you know, we talk, I, I, I flat out said it. I said to me, Frankenstein is always going to be, uh, Boris Karloff. You know, that look, I mean, and reality is most people, when they think of Frankenstein, quote unquote, and they describe you Frankenstein, they're actually describe, describing Glenn Strange's makeup because their right, head was right. more pronounced and stuff. And in fact, the Don Post mask is what most people describe. Don Post mask, it's based on uh, Glenn Strange. 
uh, but that that iconic universal look for Frankenstein compared to the look we got in the Hammer series, where you know they kind of like they, they could they were like well you, we'll sue you if you use this, so they didn't. Um, <laughs> I think that that look alone allows us here. Like I mean, it's Bela Lugosi in this movie. Um, just in case anyone wasn't sure, Bela Lugosi plays the Frankenstein monster, which is kind of funny for a reason in a minute. But the idea is that Bela Lugosi is, as the monster. They put the squarish head on him. They kind of, you know, they put the neck bolts on. They put the, you know, the the, the lips actually were painted more, almost like a, like a deeper red to portray that protruding lip. It, it Everyone recognized the Frankenstein monster. There's no, like, oh, who... And people, again, these were shown uh, in the 40s, and then they became part of the, was it the shock... Uh, theater. What did they call shock. it? The um, yeah. she was shock. And, yeah, shock, shock and son, and son of shock. Yeah. yeah. So these things weren't really available. Well, but just just real quick for those who may not so, know, that was <clears throat> shock and son of shock were the two syndication packages that Universal yeah. put together with the majority of their horror films, and then sold to TV stations all over the country, which would then get shown on you know midnight movies and horror host shows <laughs> all over the country, and for a, a lot of folks by the time that Universal had stopped re-releasing these films to theater, the shock packages were where a lot of people got first exposure to these on TV in the, mm -hmm. in the, into the 50s and into the 60s as well. Yeah. I mean, and, and you start getting... Um, so to remember, though, too, is, you know, we're, we're watching these. I mean, I watched the... Um, when, to get ready for this, I re-watched the, the Frankenstein set. That's one of the discs in the Frankenstein set that I actually bought for my daughter because she is a huge Frankenstein fan. Um, and we're watching it on DVD on a nice big t television. If you're watching this um, back in the 50s and early 60s, you know, I mean... It's smaller. It's not. It's not, certainly not high def. It's whatever. You it just you just need the parts to kind of know it's Frankenstein. You know, you kind of you kind of know it's the Frankenstein's monster. Uh, it's just it's just a different kind of um, movies were made differently back then, and uh, you know you can tell looking at this that Universal knew that they were trying to cash in on kind of the monster craze. And to be honest, I think we all can agree that. Uh, Abin Costell me Frankenstein is the perfect example of all yeah. that coming together in the best package. It is the best monster mashup maybe of all time. I'm, I mean, we, we talk about Monster Squad, and I love Monster Squad, and Luke loves Monster Squad. My, I, I mean, everyone loves Monster Squad. But they're really Monster Squad and all that the idea. That idea it's Abin Costell me Frankenstein. You Absolutely. know, kind of thing. And, and, and I, that is and I, probably, if I have to, you know, if I'm ranking my favorite movies of all time. Abbott and Costello mm -hmm. meet Frankenstein is going to be the highest ranked Universal monster movie on there. And trust me, that is not an insult to the other movies because it's coming up oh, no. fairly high on my all-time list, period. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it might be, I mean, uh, growing up, um, you know, obviously we watched whatever. I mean, we, we, there was not a ton of comedies that, let's say, Luke and I, you know, quote-unquote comedies that we, we loved growing up. I mean, we're talking The Odd Couple. You know, Major League. I mean, we're talking classics of all kind of, you know, things. It's a mad, um, mad, but, mad, mad world. Which is awesome. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Right. And Abin Costell me Frankenstein is definitely in the discussion of best comedies when we were growing up um, kind of thing. And it's it's the, it's the precursor to so many things that come after that people don't even realize that that's set the table for it. Because, I mean, Abin Costell me Frankenstein actually has a great universal horror movie going on that happens to have some really great one-liners from Bud and Lou. 
you know, and, you know, things mixed in. Like, did he count these? You know, kind of thing like that. Like, those little lines <laughs> thrown in there. But it's a, it's a really good universal horror movie. And I think when we see, because this is the first one that starts the whole thing. Now, originally, um, you know, they were cut. They had, uh, the movie was a little different. They actually had uh, the mummy, uh, the mummy, good Lord, excuse me, Frankenstein's monster um, speak. You ever, notice, and, you ever notice that the mummy never crossed over with the Frankenstein monster? Because you can't have well, two really slow guys in one movie. You need a slow it, guy and a fast guy. That's the way it yeah. always goes in these things. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to a little, little insider info. Uh, in House of Frankenstein, originally the mummy was supposed to be in it. The Invisible Man was supposed, supposed to be in it. Like, yeah, yeah well, he was supposed was to be in the, there, yeah, too. Well, it was called The Devil's Brood, and it had uh, the, the ape woman was in there and all sorts of yeah, characters. It was everybody. It. Yeah. Yeah. So but when I, you look at... When you look at uh, this, um, clearly they knew they had something. They, they had, I mean, the in the 40s and 50s, uh, well, the, say in, in the 40s, you know, they were still they were just getting close to the end of this run. I mean, kind of thing, um, because you know you got to remember Dracula and Frankenstein and the Mummy were the 30s. So you had the run in the 30s into the 40s. They knew they still had a market something marketable, and what they knew they had was, and this is something my dad talks about being a monster kid. Um, from the 50s is you would go and you'd plunk down your you know your dollar or your you know 50 cents or whatever and you saw you know 25 cartoons and you saw a newsreel and you saw a horror movie or you saw a monster movie and you saw a western and you saw whatever and and you went the whole day and spent the whole day at the movies and that's what you did like they, my, my my dad grew up in the south bronx and they would walk to the theater and he would go the whole day, him and my uncle, and they'd be there the whole day, and then they would walk home at night, and there was the whole Saturday. And they would test how they saw a lot of these things, because if it wasn't there, it was it was eventually when they were sold through as the shock package on the Million Dollar Movie or on the you know, Movie of the Week or whatever. And then that became – and then it, once you saw it there, you weren't seeing it again for another year or a year and a half maybe. Uh, depends on what was there. You had to make sure you caught it. Yeah, it so was a different Universal era of movies that, back then when, you know, yeah. you know, no no DVRs, no VCRs, no, you know, no cable package. You had a few channels mm -hmm. and you had a small TV set. And I, I often reminisce about that, how as a kid, you know, we had a 19-inch TV set in the living room and it was fine. You know, you watch TV and it was never a thought of, oh, my God, this is so small. And now I have a 50-inch <laughs> TV set in my living room. And when I sit and watch TV, it doesn't feel dramatically different from when I was a kid and would watch on the 19-inch set. Yeah. yeah, because you've, you've scaled up. Yeah, you, you get used to it. Well, yeah, and it's, it's like when, you, when, uh, when you're a kid and you've got uh, a toy of some kind, right? And if you put that toy away and you come back to it 20 years later when you're an adult, you're like, wow, this is tiny. Whereas if you yeah. continually handle it and you have, like, Hot Wheels. I've had die-cast cars oh, yeah, uh, yeah. around me my entire life. They scale with you, so they're like, oh, okay, this is the right size. But, yeah, I mean, that's the, the th and the thing at, um, about this one specifically is that universal had at this point a fairly good con i say fairly good fairly good for universal set of continuity amongst their yeah. frankenstein series of films the films generally led in one right into the other characters repeated between them uh besides the monster and what we've got here is uh previous to this the film was the ghost of frankenstein which had Lon Chaney Jr. playing the monster and introduced Bela Lugosi as, um, is it, does he Igor. play Fritz or Igor? Igor. 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 Fritz yeah. is Dwight uh, Fry from the original. From the original, right. So he plays Igor. Yeah. And at the end of Ghost of Frankenstein, the, uh, Igor's big plan is to get his brain put into the monster's body and then the monster speaks. 
and mm-hmm. then the big climax happens and he gets dumped on with the fire and and you know and it, it's it's a, it, it's a big fiery dramatic finish like a lot of Frankenstein films so the what the point I think Jay was getting at here is that the original script for Frankenstein meets the Wolfman carried on that storyline where the monster could speak and so large sequences of dialogue were written and in fact some were even filmed for mm-hmm. Bill Lugosi playing the monster, and this just did not work. It's a situation where they would they were looking at the dailies and they said, "We can't do this. This is this is ridiculous. It's bad enough yeah. with Lugosi that you've got that he's barely the same height with his shoes on as uh, Lon Chaney Jr." Oh, God, yeah, that yeah, was that yeah. was particularly noticeable actually as I was watching it yesterday. And and then and then ha- and then almost all of the action sequences. Lugosi is stunt doubled because I think he was 60 when they shot this. Yeah, that's yes. So he doesn't he doesn't put in a great performance, and I can't imagine what it would be like if the monster was giving these long soliloquies in yeah. a Hungarian accent. Well, that's uh, the other so, problem is too, the his accent. Yeah, the, the, I'm sorry, turned to cut you off, but yeah, they ahead. said that his Hungarian accent was so bad because because again, it's imagine imagine Dracula's coming Dracula's voice coming out of Frankenstein's monster. They said it just made people laugh. They just couldn't take it seriously. The other problem is, is that we know at the end of Ghost is that um, he's supposed to be blind and deaf. Blind. Yeah, but he's blind. Yeah, but he's supposed he's to be blind, blind yeah. and deaf. Yeah, but he's supposed to be deaf too. That's what happened at the end. That's what they were supposed to lose yeah. his hearing or whatever. But all of that had to be abandoned, right? But yet in the movie, you see those things where he can't see, so he's being led yeah. around, well, that, and then other well, times he, has, he can he has see. His eyes closed through the whole movie. Right. Well, and then, but if there's some they, points where he's being led and not being led, and you're like, make up well, your they, mind. <laughs> well, and the, and the whole the whole sequence at the end when uh, uh, Doctor Mannering, and we'll get to Doctor Mannering in a minute. Uh, Doctor Mannering <laughs> is doing his experiment, where yeah. there's close-ups of of Lugosi's face and his eyes, and you can see that he's leering around. So that was the way that was written, and the way it was shot was the idea that the monster has his vision back. But all yes. of that was abandoned during shooting. It was in the script, and they said, "Well, we can't. If we can't have him talk, we can't set up the blindness, and so yeah. we better just leave that on the cutting room floor." So, I mean, this it was funny. I, I put this on the other night, and uh, my wife was getting ready to go to bed. I said, "Well, I got to watch Frankenstein meets the Wolfman." I said, "How long is this? Seventy-five minutes?" I popped the DVD in seventy-three minutes. I goes, "That was pretty close." So even at yeah. seventy-three minutes, you know, it's like how much of this, you know, got left from the what was supposed to be shot or what was shot and was deemed unusable. Yeah. In well, the, the other the thing grand... is, too, right, and the other thing, too, they, they would, and this is one of the things I was just reading, um, originally, Lon Chaney, they had asked him if he could play both parts, um, which would have made yeah. it very interesting when the, it would just been stunt doubles with him, because Lon Chaney did, did his, a lot of his own stunts. It'd be Chaney stunt double with a stunt double doing the scenes but they wanted Chaney to play both parts because he had been Frankenstein and he had been obviously the Wolfman mm-hmm. and they felt that it was just going to take production too long to do the makeups every day because the problem is um, and I think we started you see this when you get, in, get into the 50s especially when all of a sudden things became a rubber mask they pulled on it wasn't really them building makeups those makeups were built onto him every day and then he would have to do it, all the scenes and they needed to rip it all off him the Frankenstein makeup, um, while it got better than it was in the original um, when Jack Pierce was doing it originally on, on Karloff, 
um, he was able to make some prosthetics and stuff, it still was a painstakingly long process. There's no way that they would have been able to film this movie in, in the amount of time they did if Cheney had to play both the monster and play the were- the Wolfman. Um, I got to say, and, and, I, I thought the makeup actually looked far better and far more convincing on Glenn Strange than it does on Carl, oh, yeah. uh, on uh, yeah. Lugosi, rather. On Lugosi, yeah. It, 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 the problem is, I think... Glenn Strange himself. Now, if you see, now you gotta remember. Um, uh, I mean, Glenn Strange was was a character actor. He was in a lot of westerns. He played a heavy and all those kind of things. Um, he just had that build to him. Like you didn't have to sell that he was a big dude, you know, kind of thing. But for Lugosi, they had to try to sell it to you because you're not gonna believe. I mean, like Luke exactly said, he's he's barely the same height. I mean, they're walking through the castle, and you're like, well, should Lawrence Talbot be towering over Frankenstein? Like, it just, I mean, I understand they were kind of hoping, like, well, we got to make this thing, and we're doing our thing, but it, it just doesn't pay off as well. And I think part of that, too, remember, Lugosi turned down the role of, of the Frankenstein monster because it had no speaking lines, and he felt that if he had all that makeup on, no one would know who he is if he didn't speak back in the original. So the irony here being is he had speaking lines, in this version, where he got to play the monster, but they were so bad they cut them all. And you know? the, the other uh, irony is, with the makeup, you could still clearly see Lugosi's face. Yes, you know, yes. you you can see that it's him. He's the easiest, yeah. mm-hmm. easily the most recognizable actor as the monster. Karloff, yes. and you know, I mean, I I don't see you know the other actors that played him. I think Glenn Strange looked the best personally, but. They they are much much more interchangeable, whereas Lugosi mm-hmm. just stood out. He, I think yeah. his face is just more round to begin with, and that's why with you know with the peak on his head and everything, it just didn't look natural. Yeah, the other thing too is is, is and you're right, his face is much more round. His eyes are so um, definitive as Dracula's eyes. So any so as soon as they show a close up and they show his eyes, well. It's clearly the. I mean, you've seen that before. You've seen him leering over the cape. You've seen him looking in 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 Dracula. So that's the problem. Is like you know, like all right, well that's Dracula's eyes. But and I think that's where um, this movie, if you you know, look at the the shortcomings, is I think them using Lugosi instead of getting Glenn Strange because they were not getting Karloff. That Karloff was not putting the makeup back on. If they had got Glenn Strange here, because remember, Glenn Strange plays him in the next movie, The House of Frankenstein, it's Glenn Strange. Right. And then pretty much with House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, and um, Evan Costello meet Frankenstein, it's Glenn Strange as the monster. And if they had had Glenn Strange there, I'm not, I'm not saying it would have changed everything, but he's a much bigger guy. He, you know, his portrayal of Frankenstein was not as stiff. I think that's part of what I, you know, and I... The scene where Lugosi puts his arms up like Dracula um, at yeah. the end of the fight, like it's just oh, like I, I said to my wife, I said, watch this. She's she's you know my wife does half ass watches it no matter no matter what we're watching. She can beg <laughs> me to watch watch this. She half ass watches it. She's always got to be on her tablet, right? But I'll say to him like, okay, watch this. Well, just trust me, watch this. And my daughter and I are watching, it. and she's like, what? I go watch what he does. And she goes, why do you stick his arms out? And I'm like, she goes, what are you trying to turn into a bat? Like she I even got it. And she yeah. Not, yeah. Because cause he does, because what happens is in the fight, I mean, he's, his arms, he doesn't have his arms straight out. His arms are off to the side. He walks super stiff. I think a lot of the stereotypes of, of Frankenstein, the, the, the not 
the bad stereotypes that people say, oh, I walk like Frankenstein, you know, kind of thing and make fun of it. A lot of them started here. Yeah, because I, I think you're right when, about when, that. Because think about think about Glenn Strange, um, even in Evan Costello made Frankenstein, just the scene when he's trying to find them and he's like trying to peek into the door, like he moves in a way you're like, okay, that's a dead guy? Well, but I totally yeah, well, the, buy that that dead guy's moving. Yeah. Well, the, the, but the other thing is that when Glenn Strange moves, he's menacing. Mm-hmm. Because of his size and his gait, and it's like, yeah. and he's, he's, you know, that that's, I mean, that you want to, I mean, to, again, and and this this may be betraying again my upbringing, but the scariest that the Frankenstein monster ever is, as far as I'm concerned, is when he's chasing Bud and Lou around the castle, and then when he's going down the dock that's on fire. When and he lost yes. fire, that scared the hell out of me. A lot of that, away. I think, has to do with the score. I think yeah. the, the score for the Frankenstein scenes in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is very, very kind of foreboding. I was going to say spooky, but not really spooky. It's more foreboding. It's more of that, that relentless pounding kind of sound. Yeah. And, and I don't think we got that in this movie. And, and you know, I, I feel like we're being really critical of this movie that I think very highly of here. So, you got to You got to get the bad parts out of the way. Yeah, um, and that's the thing. I, it's I, not a matter of not of... liking it. It's a matter of just reviewing yeah. it honestly. Right, yeah. because to me, if you take... Let, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's use our hypothetical crystal ball here and play uh, devil's brood advocate, if you will. If you make <laughs> this movie and... In, and um, instead of finding uh, Baroness Frankenstein, played by Ilona Massey, who was also in Invisible Agent, she was in another uh, Universal monster movie, and also in Love Happy, the last movie of the Marx Brothers. Um, That's the so one let's with say that Monroe, oh, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's say Ilona Massey is not Baroness Frankenstein; she's just another lady scientist or something, right? Or maybe. Patrick Knowles uh, just does it on his own. And the Frankenstein monster is not in this. You take this as just a sequel to The Wolfman, with Larry Talbot being brought back from the dead because these two idiot grave robbers decide to rob his grave on the night of a full moon. (laughs) And then he goes on his rampage and goes all wolf crazy, and then they go to the uh, all that. If you take this as just a sequel to The Wolfman, this is really darn good stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and you know what? I'm going to that... interrupt you just for a second, Luke, because you gave a little bit of the plot there, and I just want to kind of take it from there. Just, just sure. for anybody listening who hasn't seen the movie, and I, I'm going to tell you now, I recommend that you do see the movie if you haven't. But what what Luke said happens, and then effectively, Larry Talbot starts to seek out the Frankenstein family. Uh, in particular, Dr. Frankenstein, who he learns is dead, because he's looking to use his knowledge of life and death to end the curse of the Wolfman. Right. And that's yeah. where the movie well, goes, and then he ends up with Baroness Frankenstein and uh, the doctor, not Dr. Frankenstein, I, I can't remember what his name is. Uh, Dr. Bannering. Dr. Bannering. And then there's a twist on it, because while they tell him they're going to help him to end his life, uh, the doctor ends up being your prototypical mad scientist and decides, I'm not going to end their lives. I'm going to f- empower them further. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of Ultimately the leading Mannering. to the battle at the end. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mannering, the, here's the thing with Mannering, okay? He's, he's a regular physician, okay? Yeah, he's, yes. He's, you know, Victorian-era physician goes, the mad scientist, which gets flipped on him immediately yeah. upon him going to the village, 
and seeing the Frankenstein monster. He has no motivation for doing this other than literally one line of dialogue where he says, I must see it at its full power, you know? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, boy. So that, and that, that kind of goes with what I was saying is that if I, I could buy Mannering as being a guy who wanted to experiment on Larry Talbot because, you know, he knew what lycanthropy was when he told the inspector uh, that when they were back in the in the in the in where were they in Bristol or wherever they were, Bolton, Ipswich, wherever. And um, <laughs> is this Sorry. is this Bolton? No, sir. This is Ipswich. I thought this was Bolton. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so I, I could buy him wanting to experiment on the Wolfman, but suddenly desiring to power up the Frankenstein's monster just seems a little outlandish, even for, again, I understand a film where the Wolfman fights Frankenstein's monster. Um, but the, you know, the idea of Talbot being this, uh, this haunted cursed guy, you know, yeah. I, I've always said you want an, if you want a, if you need a last minute Halloween costume, you wear an ill fitting shirt, you mess up your hair and then you grab people by the lapels and go, you don't understand. You know? <laughs> I, Actually, I think, I did a I count. think he said the word understand for um, one, two, three, four times in this 73 minute yeah. movie. But you know well, who did understand. understand. <laughs> I, I think I think part of what happens too is and and um, I mean I know I know uh, people know Lon Chaney. Uh, I mean people people don't know that Lon Chaney actually did other things besides horror movies. Sometimes like, they don't know that. Like they know him. Oh, I know that guy. But like they don't. Um, one thing that Lon Chaney had that I can't I can't think of another actor who had the ability that he did. He, no matter what role, whether it's in Spider Baby, whether it's in, you know, uh, um, even when in Evan Costello, Me Frankenstein, he always seems like he's on the verge of just breaking down. Like his, he looks so sad all the time because his entire life is just a curse. Like him being alive is the last thing he wants. He doesn't want to be alive. I mean, it's it's and and I don't mean that in a way of like he like you know he always seems suicidal because they've made movies where people are suicidal or whatever but he always just feels like someone is just like he has this weight on him he has this yoke of this curse around his neck and to be fair Lon Chaney Jr. forever and Luke knows these kind of stories well too yeah. he always wanted to prove how tough he was punch yeah. me in the face oh because he had to be better than his dad and for, you know it, and 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 I mean Lon Chaney Sr. I mean, good Lord. I mean, there would not be movies the way they are without Lon Chaney Sr., you know, doing his own makeup, you know, being the Phantom, being the Hunchback. Like, you know, even in even in things like um, when, when he had played, he played no uh, movies that we had no legs. Uh, I can't think of it. It's not that's not the penalty. It's something along those lines where he did these things. And he like he, he was he was a great actor who just never got to the to the, the the talking movie he was supposed to be dracula for christ's sake you know he never got to that next he never got to the talkies but without in that shadow especially at universal like that shadow of just lon cheney senior you always feel that lon cheney jr was always stuck there and he and that he resented that you know people like anybody who knew who you know like you know he was he just was a guy you're like he always felt like someone was like oh you're here because of your dad like so, we always right. wanted to prove how great he was and how how I'm tougher than you and I can do anything. Or he would yeah, get well, like lit, yeah, but, and, and you know would, yeah, go off. Well, he would, yeah, he would. You know, a lot of times he would be uh, uh, imbibing of the spirits, as we say, mm -hmm. during shooting, and so they, yeah. there was only so much you could get out of him in a day. 
which is, I think, helps him when he's playing the Wolfman in a lot of ways because, like you say, it kind of builds into that that he's the man on the edge. You know, there's he's once we we see it here when they're singing that song, the the incredible yes. Stiller song. Um, yeah. that, that he's, <laughs> I felt it's it's like Marx Brothers movie. That that felt like it came out of a Marx Brothers movie right there. Yeah, well, they need, well, yeah, I thought at one point, you know, Chico was going to jump out there and start playing yeah, the piano, and you know. That was that was just a trope of the day, though, where where you'd have yeah, to have know, a little yeah, a little right. musical yeah, interlude not... in the movie. Yeah, yeah, but, that's what they mean. use it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they they use it well in this because it's not not always done in the Universal film, but here all it does is to do is to to piss off Larry Talbot, you know. Yeah. Don't you sing about that? Don't you don't understand? <laughs> How dare you say live live forever? I don't want to live forever. And it's like, but you see that, and everyone just kind of stares at him. And, yeah. and I mean, and they're, and they're wearing some snazzy costumes. I'm throwing it out there. Those are some snazzy outfits they got. I like the hats, like Latvian Orthodox yeah. kind of hats, you know. Latvian Orthodox, um, like the hats. But, but, they, but, the uh, thing is, but, but the thing is, Universal treated him like he was lucky to be working for them because of yeah. his dad. I mean, I that, that was, you, you talked about him always trying to prove how tough he was. It's on the set of the first time he played Karas in The Mummy's Ghost, where... Mm-hmm. He punched a plate glass window backstage because he said, I can bet you I can punch through that window. And he had to go to the hospital because he was trying yeah. to prove that he was a tough guy. Because especially on the mummy films where, you know, you didn't even see his face. I mean, as the Wolfman is always going to be Lon Chaney Jr.'s most beloved role because he got to actually act as Larry Talbot. As Chorus, he's, you know, he's a great Chorus. You know, he brings a lot of menace to the role, but he's he's suit acting, you know, to use a... Yes. Uh, a, a kaiju ega term he's not face acting so he plays chorus well but but he's not you know you don't say oh that's lon cheney jr as chorus you know it's like okay it's chorus because his whole face is covered by a mask not even an appliance in the, the right. later mummy films like you were saying it's just a mask covering him so it could be anybody so he always did kind of operate underneath the modus that well you know you're lucky your your dad was famous that's why you're here that's why you're lon cheney jr and we always make sure to make people know that you know, although he is billed as just Lon Chaney in uh, in this film, um, yeah. but yeah, so so him as you know, the, and like I said the the opportunities you get here is um, we get to see kind of the the beginnings of what we come to associate with the, the cursed Larry Talbot that we get in the House movies, Abbott and Costello, where as I said, he he's you know he's this guy that every day that he wakes up is another, it's one more day till he turns back into the wolf, you know. Yeah, and it, it's it's that kind of pathos that we get for the character that, frankly, I don't know that we get in a lot more modernist werewolf movies. This idea no. of it, you know, we we get the uh, you know the the body horror of it and the the visceral survival aspect of it, but this idea that I don't know that anyone did the curse. They say that that it's inevitable. The sun will set and the moon will rise every single day. I think we know, got some that of that in American is, Werewolf in London. Yeah, we even get it in, in American Werewolf. Absolutely. But I, I still think, you know, it, it's it's kind of the codified version of the trope is 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 Larry Talbot. And that kind of starts here because we get some of this in The Wolfman, but The Wolfman's also got to deal with the origin. Whereas here, yeah. he's fully formed. You know, he he is who he is. And now he he's like, I, I you know, he's got a he's got his quest that he will undergo for the next, uh, you know, this film and the following three. Yeah. And I, and I think that's part of what... Um... I think it's one of the things that when we, we, we notice it more in, um, you know, I mean, because let's think about it. I mean, if you're thinking about the great werewolf movies that came after The Wolfman, because to me, when we rank what, I mean, The Wolfman's always one of my favorite werewolf movies, period. Um, 
in like the howling you see it in in uh d wallace at the end where she's like she doesn't like like how, how like when uh when she changes on the air you know the kids are like the the news lady's turning into a werewolf you know kind of thing like you can see her like the 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 the, the, the pain she's having going through but like how much she doesn't want to be this wolf and she wants to be you know wants to die um and in the same thing american werewolf in london but even there he's you know, at the, at the very end, we see it in the wolf's eyes. We see it when, he, when he's the wolf that he, like, kill me. Please kill me, you know? And I think all of that goes back to, to, to um, you know, Larry Talbot being, he, he, all he wants to do is die. And, you know, even, even in so much to the point where he just, it's just, you know, that driving force, I've got to find a way, no matter what it takes, to end this. To seek out Maliva, to you know whatever, and and that's I think uh, in that scene there when he turned when he when he starts changing he jumps off the cart. Well, she says he won't hurt me, because he doesn't want to hurt. He doesn't want to hurt anybody, but he just you know it's just I can't control this. So he knows to run away from her because he doesn't want to hurt her. And he winds up killing the the daughter, the the innkeeper's daughter, which is the, the exact same scene, basically from Frankenstein, right? Uh, he's yeah. walking down the street holding his dead daughter. I'm like, we've well, seen this, um, but it's just, you know, I, I think I think that's one of those things. I think we talk about this though, um, when you know, you know, those tropes that have to exist, they have to start somewhere. You know what I'm saying? The things right. that we take as being like, well, that's just what werewolf movies have. Well, things have to start somewhere, and when you look at where things start, I think that's sometimes people. I mean, again, some people don't realize that, and some people maybe have never seen the Universals. I don't think they show them much more. I mean, they show them on um, not on AMC. Spengouli, that's about it. On, yeah. well, Spengouli, well, they show them on classic TCM. movies. You see them. Yeah, Turner Classic yeah, movies. They'll, classic. At Halloween time, they'll show them, right? But I'm saying, but that's it. You, these movies don't get rolled out on you know on any network anymore. Yeah, this uh, used, I mean, these used to be a staple of you know Channel Nine Saturday nights at midnight. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And yep, that yep. just doesn't exist anymore, and it, it's a shame, because yeah. because these these yeah. are quality movies, and like I said, we've spent a lot of time pointing out some of the nitpicks on it and criticizing some of the makeup choices and the acting choices, but in my opinion, this is a really solid movie, and it's a really solid entry in a really solid series of movies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and, and, no, and with, I think the appreciation of... for them has hasn't disappeared, but it's dwindled some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, yeah, this well, is the get, original get connected a... universe too. The, you know, people talk about what they're doing in Marvel, like it's you know, oh, this is so, uh, <laughs> so you know, so so groundbreaking. It's not groundbreaking. This has been done before. It's great. Yeah, I love absolutely. what they're doing, but don't you know, don't treat it as if it's never been done before. Universal did it, you know, sixty years earlier, seventy years oh, earlier. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And they did, a, and they did a good job of it, considering that it wasn't. It wasn't some big planned out, you know, we got movies planned out in this whiteboard for 15 years or anything. You know, it was, crap, we need to make a new movie. Okay, let's write this right. one. We're breaking the Wolfman, yeah. you know? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is they were like, hey, this movie made a lot of money. Hey, can yeah. you make another one of these? You know, I yeah. mean, to be honest, think about it. Dr- uh, Dracula's daughter, right, has nothing to do with Dracula. Nothing. Right, but it had the name Dracula on it. People are like, oh, Dracula. I know Dracula. Dracula. I remember Dracula. And then and think about it. Dracula and Frankenstein were released, and then they go away, and they were re-released, just like King Kong was. It was re-released, and the people could not get there fast enough because you had no other way of seeing it. You yeah. know, Dad always tells a story about, um, uh, you know, um, Grandpa, our our grandfather, um, saying. 
because uh, my dad my dad was like, this movie is amazing. I saw it when it could be with Beast and 20,000 Fathoms. And my grandfather said, that's nothing. You've never seen King Kong. And King Kong was a million-dollar movie, and my dad and my uncle got in trouble, so they had to sneak up to my to his grandmother's apartment and watch it. And my dad, King Kong, blew my dad away, right? And I mean, he, didn't, he, didn't, know, he, didn't he audio tape it? Oh, later, yes, he later, later he audio taped it. it. Yeah, um, that was that was, and he actually had a, a cassette of uh, King Kong, or it was actually two cassettes of King Kong front and back, and it was the entire movie audio recorded, and he would just listen to it. That's how much that movie made an impact on my dad's life, which, I mean, you know, it's, it's you know, that's obviously well documented in many other shows. What I'm, you know, um, so the whole idea was, like, things, you just didn't have opportunities to see them. So yeah. when they said, hey, uh, uh, coming to this theater in three weeks, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, every kid was like, hells yeah, let's go, <laughs> we're going, you know, because, because, and, and what happens, you would go home, and my dad always said this, you would walk home at the end of the day, and you basically walked home like the Frankenstein monster, because you've now sat in a movie theater for 12 to 13 hours of your life, and you're like, uh, you know, you're going home, but you were so amped up at what you saw, and you, and you, it was like an experience. Um, they used to have what they called road shows, you guys know what I'm talking about, like, they would, you would, yeah. you would send away for tickets, and you would have tickets to go to the movies. And it was like, um, in like, what was the thing where there were like two screens? Remember that was called like Cinescope? Oh, or... Cine... No, well, it was Cinerama where they had three screens. Yeah. Like, like, uh, like how have... the West was one and all them. Yeah. And you sent away for those tickets. And when your tickets came, it didn't just, and you went to the theater. You didn't just go to the theater. You got dressed up and you went to the theater and you got the book that went with those. Remember those books? Dad's got that. Dad has them all downstairs. Yeah. For these different shows and it was like a thing to go do that's not this kind of movie this kind of no. movies made for the kids on the saturday afternoon they knew what they were making they were not making they were not making um you know how the west was won they were not making um you know uh, whatever they were not making the robe they were not making you know whatever they were making movies for kids to see here because the original uh, horror movies were made just for adults. You know, to be honest, Frankenstein, Dracula were made for adults, and it scared a lot of people. It it scared people to the point where I mean, ran out of the theater screaming like they didn't understand what they were seeing. By the time we get to the 40s, this is 40. What this is? Um, 43. This is 43. People yeah. kind of under started understanding how movies worked. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not like it's not like the first time they had the train coming at the screen and people ran out of the theater screaming they thought it was a real train. <laughs> they kind of understood what they were doing. They were making these movies for the monster kids. Now they weren't called monster no, kids yet, because famous you know, monsters. You, didn't but exist. you know the thing. You know the, the thing about that though. Now I, I was reading. I was reading a book about a different series of monster films, and the uh, the author of the, uh, the film, uh, the book, made a really good point. He said that you know we 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 want a lot of times it's our kind of instinct, especially as Western viewers, to want to separate films into either their art or their commercial. You know. Yeah. And film, you know, ma you know, uh, major in Hollywood studio films exist as both. The fact that they are, in fact, commercial does not take away from the artistry and the wizardry that mm -hmm. goes into making them. And by the same token, that the men and women involved on the creative side produce something that was quality and that they really put a lot of good effort into does not change the fact that it was still made to make money. And yeah. the Universal Monster films, as you say, once you get into the 40s, are extremely indicative of this. Because for the most part, they are a very well-made series of films in each one. Now, there are ones that are better and ones that are worse. You know, I, I, I've often said I think the only, to me the only 
absolute air quotes up to the mic bad universal monster movie is house of dracula house of dracula to me just just falls apart completely on premise but mm-hmm. that aside you can watch any of these films and they still hold up they are well-made movies now some aspects are dated sure they were made 70 years ago if they yeah. weren't dated it would be weird okay so but fine but given given that they are films of that age and uh, with the the cast and the crews that they have, they hold up really well, and you can still watch them now in 2016 and be entertained by them. And and you know the the great thing also about watching a lot of these Universal films is that you start to see the guys that uh, not necessarily the monster actors who were on contract, but the other actors that who were on contract. And I want to talk a little bit about Lionel Atwill, who was in yep. this film and plays the mayor, and Lionel Atwill. He was in Son of Frankenstein, Ghost of Frankenstein, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein, Mysteries of the Wax Museum, Hound of the Baskervilles, The Vampire Bat, one of my personal favorites, Murders in the Zoo. And so he's in a mm-hmm. ton of these universal horror and suspense movies. And, you know, but you never hear, don't hear so much about Lionel Atwill unless you're a genre fan compared to, like, you know, Karloff and Lugosi and Chaney and all them. But he's great. Anytime Atwell shows up, it, it brings a smile to my face. You know, especially now at this, this part of his career where he always seems to play the same guy. You know, he plays the mayor or the burgermeister or whatever, you know. The, 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 he, he looks kind of like Kenneth Mars from Young Frankenstein. Or I should say, you know, the other way around. Kenneth Mars looks like... The other way like around, right? Atwell. Yeah. But, but you got to uh, keep in mind, too, this, but, is, this is the era of the studio performer, too. So right. when yeah. they were making a movie, they didn't say, okay, let's cast this movie. You know, we'll do a casting call and bring in everybody off the street. It was, okay, who do we have under contract already to play this part? Mm-hmm. You know, that was, that oh, yeah. was a big yeah. factor I mean, of it also. That's why you saw people, you know, in the John Ford, John Wayne Westerns, uh, the supporting cast is the same group of guys in almost every one of them. Yeah. And, and, and that's uh, the reason yeah, for yeah, it. First and... of all, because they were drinking buddies. And second of all, because right. they were contract players. Yeah. I was going to say, just like uh, Yakima Canet does the stunts in every one of uh, John Wayne's movies, because him and him and Wayne came up together shooting the indies, the indie westerns, and Canet was the best horse fall in Hollywood, according to John Wayne. But uh, yeah, but so so you get you get hits like that. I mean, uh, Patrick Knowles, who we said plays Doctor Mannering, he was in The Wolfman for crying out loud. Yep. He played a different character, but he was in The yeah, Wolfman. He's... he also was in the Abbott and Costello movie Who Done It, which is uh, another favorite of mine. But you got to, you know, I mean, that they're all. They're all character actors and studio players, but you know, no one, no one here is playing this for laughs. You know, they're they're all taking this quite seriously, which again, considering where we are and and the fact that, I mean, you know, the and and Paul, you were talking about this that it's not revolutionary this idea of you know crossing films over and making a shared universe. To, you know, we I think we're more accepting of it now. At the time, I think, um, and even then, you know, people talk about, oh, crossing movies over, that's just a gimmick. That's just ridiculous. Whereas here it's like, no, they're kind of a natural fit. If you've got properties that can work well together and you figure out a reasonable rationale for them to ex- coexist together, yeah, by all means do it. You know, it makes sense. You know, we, we'd see this time and again with horror films especially because it makes sense if, you know, like I said, you had said um, earlier on the show that there's not, and necessarily a clear line of delineation. If you're a Wolfman fan, you're probably a Frankenstein's monster fan and vice versa. So that that's that kind of built-in crossover appeal, which is what I was saying before about being a commercial entity. But even given the commercial nature 
and the idea of, okay, well, we're going to write this because we can get people to come see Frankenstein fight the Wolfman. I mean, geez, that, that sounds cool. I'd want to go see that. But they still took the, you know, there's still care and effort put into creating uh, a film that, that makes sense and is entertaining and is not just a cash grab, not just something thrown, you know, not there, there's care in, in the film and there's care put in all the Universal Monster films. And like I said, this one is, uh, it's kind of an odd one in a lot of ways just because I think a lot of people know the title, but I don't, I don't remember seeing this one as much when I was a kid as opposed to, you know, the big three. Uh, Frankenstein, Dracula, and the Wolfman, and Abbott and Costello, of course, and then like House of Frankenstein. I remember seeing House of Frankenstein on Channel Eleven a lot when I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. So I al- I've always had a real soft spot for that one. Whereas this was one that you know I don't remember seeing as much to the point where when my dad uh, was buying up all the MCA Universal commercial tapes in the '90s that had the really cool box art, the painted box art. Oh, I remember yeah, yeah, watching yeah, yeah, yeah. this one. I have all those VHSs upstairs, by the way. But I, re- I remember watching this one just because I couldn't remember it. I remembered the trailer for it, but I couldn't remember a lot of the details other than, you know, reading in, um, I forget the name of the author, but there's a really thick volume that McFarland Publishing put out called Universal Horrors, where they have, you know, just uh, filmography and film information on all the Universal Horror films of the 30s through the early 50s. And yeah, so it's like, you know, this, it, it still holds up. It's not, it's not my favorite, but it's a great kind of, um, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's a memorable, really good entry that really, like I said, has a lot of care put into it. And I, yeah, I, I agree with that. And it was definitely not in heavy rotation in, on the, uh, the TV broadcast schedule. The first time I can, I'm sure I saw it as a kid, but the first time I have an actual memory of seeing it was on the VHS release. And I do think it's, it's you know, it is put together with some care. And I think the script, you know, I, I don't think it was just thrown together as a money grab. I think there is an effort to do this well. And, you know, again, the two aren't mutually exclusive. You can have something that's put together for the money, but still put together carefully and, and as an art form. Although mm-hmm. I do think there are, there are times where it's purely a cash grab and there's no effort put into some films altogether. Uh, I don't think that's the case in this one. And I think... Uh, you know, I think Jason, you hit on it in the beginning. Really, this this really, although uh, Frankenstein gets top billing, this is a Wolfman movie, uh, uh-huh. much much more so than Frankenstein. Frankenstein's a supporting player in this movie. You know, Lon Chaney Jr. is is the star of it. You know, it's not even close. Yeah, well, I mean, he's. I mean, again, um, Luke said it there. You could take Frankenstein's monster out of this, and this movie works probably a little better uh going into I me mean, it, it doesn't give you the cool fight at the end but it definitely works just as well if not a little better going forward because it's all about his search for peace and him not finding the peace he's looking for you know so um i i you know it's it's hard because i'm being a a i was always the i mean wolfman was always my number one thing i always liked wolfman better than i liked any of the others um so this movie again like luke said it wasn't one of those we saw in a lot of heavy rotation and we definitely saw this dad definitely showed this to us you know and it was one of those that i liked a lot because um where the wolfman like luke said is a lot of the backstory and the you know origin story i should say and whatever and it has some great wolfman scenes this has some great wolfman stuff in it just him to jumping around that he's doing, you know, kind of thing. Just when, when, when he's, um, in the street, when he's like jumps up on top of the giant pile, like the way he moves, like Cheney really, I think understood 
what it meant to be the Wolfman. Like, I think he understood that kind of cursed, you know, in his life, but he really embraced it. Um, and I think he brings that to his role. And I mean, in all fairness, be, you know, Cheney was the only one to play the Wolfman, Dracula, Frankenstein, and the mummy. He played all those characters. And whether you like those movies he was in or whatever, he never took, the, he never played them for a joke. He played them seriously. He took it all very seriously in how he did it. And he tried to give them their own life, each one of them their own life. His Frankenstein's mm -hmm. monster might not be as good as Glenn Strange. It might not be as good as Boris Karloff. But his Frankenstein monster is different than his Chorus the Mummy. It's different yeah. than his. Well, it's got to be different than him as Dracula's son of Dracula with the mustache. Right, but you know, but even but let's say <laughs> even his, but his Chorus. When mm -hmm. when you think of the mummy, you think of Lon Chaney's Chorus with one course, hand, yeah. one arm pinned to his chest, dragging his foot behind him, his other hand stretched out. You know that that's what you think of. When you think of the shambling, classic shambling mummy. You tend mm -hmm. to think of Lon Chaney Jr. He was, as as a suit actor, as I said before. He was great. He had great. He he knew how to use his body. He knew how to use you know when you can't emote with words, how to emote with your with your face and your your, your positioning and the way that you hold yourself and the way that you move. That he was. I mean, and yeah, this he gets to show off that in the, especially in the first half of this, he gets to do some great yeah. wolf stuff. The scene of him attacking the uh, the constable, and and what I like about especially the first half of this, this this film is lit very much from the James Whale school of filmmaking. There's a lot <laughs> yes. of, and I mean that I mean that completely as a compliment. Yeah, there's a way. lot yeah. of very harsh light. Uh, even in scenes where there's not supposed to be a lot of light, there is harsh light. When Larry Talbot is in the ruins of Castle Frankenstein and it's supposed to be dark and dank, there is harsh, immediate white light put right on his face with a hard shadow behind him in certain scenes. And uh, or when they're in the the nervous hospital, some folks calls it a sanitarium. I calls it a nervous hospital. Mm. Uh -huh. There's there's a lot of harsh light. And there's also where they've got like the pillar and the pillar is in the foreground. and The characters are walking behind the brick pillar. Just the way this is shot is is really wonderful. They just don't shoot films like this anymore. It's it's almost stagey. Again, in that James Whale sort of way, that the original Frankenstein was very stagey in a lot of ways, um, and and uh, and the way that it's the way that it's uh, constructed, the first scene when they go to the graveyard, and it's clearly a soundstage, but it is a beautiful soundstage made to look uh, look like the Scottish countryside, or the English mm -hmm. countryside, excuse me, English, where it's got the rolling hills. And you've got the the painted, uh, you know, sky and all the trees and everything. It looks great. It's clearly a soundstage because you know we're intelligent viewers that understand movie magic. But it's such a wonderfully designed set. It's so nice. They could have they could have shot that on on a a back lot, a standing back lot graveyard. But instead, they built a set for it, and it's better for it because now it's this creepy, you know, moss covered, dingy. Uh, kind of you know English countryside grave, you know, and so that so it sets this tone for this really spooky opening of these two guys breaking into this grave because supposedly he was buried with a bunch of riches. Uh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess the Talbot family was wealthy in the Wolfman, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, I believe yes. they were. Yeah, 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 yeah. But still, it's like, oh, he's got a lot of money on him there, Governor. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, you know that, he's a wolf man. You know. The, the the guy they break in, 
it always reminds me of remember you know you know in um at disney at the haunted mansion you know the guy with his dog with the lantern the caretaker right the caretaker he what, yeah. the guy the guy who like runs away he always kind of reminds me of that guy I know that caretaker has nothing to do with this, but it just was kind of. I was like, that kind of guy reminds me of that. So Don Knotts yeah. could have played that role Don- very well. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I'm telling you, we got to film, we got to nip this Wolfman in the bud. Yeah. See, uh, the um, one thing, uh, and, and this turns out there is there was actually a screenplay that was put together, and I, and I, I don't know. When it, it, it was, it's published. I have it somewhere, and it's it was it's called the the Wolfman versus Dracula, and it was basically, you could see like this, kind of might have been a story that was kind of going around or a script going around, and it kind of got lost and whatever, and it talks about how it again it's it's clearly it is clearly 100% written to be Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman. The way that lines are written, it's written to fit in his mouth, right? And the Dracula lines are written to be Bela Lugosi. And the whole point is that the, uh, um, whatever, you know, he's, again, he's trying to find a way to die. And it's, it's, when you read this, and, I, and I've read it, um, and it's available on Amazon. Um, if you go to the Two True Frinks website, click on the link and go there and buy it. Cha-ching. Um, you, you know, it, 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 it talks about that idea. And I think that's one of the things universal understood. And again, as and you guys are talking about building this universe, they weren't like, you know, we're going to, they didn't start out in 1930, whatever said, okay, let's figure out what we're doing for the next 15 years. They didn't have that kind of plan. But when they started realizing that, Hey, these things kind of exist in the same place and we should tie these things together. Someone had to have that idea. You know, there's a board meeting somewhere. Like I always think of like the Hudsucker proxy where they're all sitting at the table <laughs> You know, kind of thing. Um, you know, and they're like, eh, what are we going to do? You know, kind of thing. And it, they, they, there had to be other ideas. There had to be other stories and stuff like that. Like, there's, there's a, um, there was a paperback along. It was called The Return of the Wolfman, which I think was supposed to be the sequel, but it never got off the ground. And I'm sure there's parts of that in this movie. And it just was things that just kind of floated and ideas and whatever. And, um, you know, it's, and I know we kind of, picked apart some of the stuff in here but again i think being critical of something um is you know if, if you if you like something then you take the time to learn about it and be critical about it if if we didn't like this movie i don't think we would have been talking nearly as long you know what i'm saying yeah i definitely right? agree and, and that's always my fear on these shows where we start getting a little bit more in depth in our evaluation of the movies or the television shows like when when we do listen to the prophets that some somewhere along the line somebody's going to say, oh, you're being too critical of this thing. I thought you loved it. Well, yeah, I do love it. That's why I'm looking at it so closely. And that's that's why, you know, I, I, I care about the, the, the ups and the downs of it. And that's why, to some extent, I even can get some pleasure as a... in looking at things through a critical eye when I do see some weaknesses in it. I mean, I, I, you know, it, it, there, there is some satisfaction to being able to look at things intelligently and break them down as opposed to just mm-hmm. saying, yeah, that was good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, well, it's, it's like, I, it's like the Joker says in, in Batman, right? You know, this is attractive. That is not, I've moved beyond all that now. Yeah. I think, so. I think we see that though. I think nowadays, and, and cause dad and I were just talking today, um, as we're planning out, you know, more 
bots, bugs, and babes episodes. Um, I said to my dad, I said, I think, uh, I said, well, we're, actually, we were talking, we were talking about Rogue One. And he was, I said, well, there's going to be people who are going to hate it no matter what, Dad. So, you know, just, we got to just focus on, you know, when it comes out, just making our own opinion. And I think, um, and he gets, it's one of those things that happens. And, and, I, and again, those of us who are, you know, more connected on social media, because my dad has no social media. The social media my dad has is me, go do this on social <laughs> media for me. Um, I think what happens is we, we kind of sometimes see that, that like, you know, there's that knee jerk. Everything has to be the greatest or the worst. And it like, you know, well, how come? Well, because it is. And it's like, oh, OK. And I, I, I think looking at, um, again, some people never want to see the past. They don't ever want to know what came before because, you know, whatever. They, this is the best thing ever. This is the best movie ever. Well, OK, why did you like the movie? I did. Well, that's not, an, you know, being able to look at something. Because it was and, good. <laughs> Right, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I look at it this way. Perfect example of this is, um, now, uh, we've talked about, like, Videodrome and things like that on the vault. I have people I know who are like, oh, I hated Videodrome. I'm like, oh, why? They go, and they'll be able to tell me why they didn't enjoy it because it bothered them on, the, like, a level, like, the body horror. Totally respect that. And people will say, oh, man, that movie, it sucks. I'm like, why do you think it sucks? It does. It, it does. Like, are you kidding me? Like, they mean you didn't sit there and watch it. I feel like it's like Luke's... Uh, when he was in school, when they were like, Tex Chainsaw Massacre is one of the bloodiest oh, movies ever. Oh. Like, yes. are you kidding? Yes. No? <laughs> oh my God, that was... Okay, at, uh, at Clemson Sorry, University... Sorry, I know we're going to have a tangent here, but this is funny. So. <laughs> this is a quick one. At Clemson University, the student paper is called The Tiger, right? And one year, um, one Halloween when I was an undergrad at Clemson, <clears throat> they published an uh, uh, opinion piece, and it was the five best horror movies and the five worst and on the worst side, they had Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Is the Toby <laughs> and the, Hooper uh, yeah, original? The Toby Hooper original. This was this predated oh, the long. remake. This is the nineties. Yeah, okay. there are no, no remakes. No, yet. No, no. This, well, this 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 was this was the late nineties because I was an undergrad from ninety eight to two thousand two. But yeah, okay. uh, <clears throat> but yes, talking about the original Toby Hooper. And they said, oh, this movie is stupid. It's just a bunch of, of half naked girls running around the woods getting cut up. I said, this this, this movie's dumb. And so I wrote an email to the to the author, and I suggested that maybe she had not seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but perhaps Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 or 3, or uh, one of the many rip-offs and imitators of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, of which there were many. I said, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I said, is not a gory film. It's, they couldn't afford to do that kind of stuff. Most of it is, almost all of it is suggested. I said, it's a very psychologically um, unnerving film to watch. And she wrote me back and said, well, you know, I didn't see it, but I saw the video cover. And that's pretty much all you need to know, right? <laughs> so, oh, God. So I wrote her back, and uh, and uh, I, I gave her my response to that, which I won't repeat on a show that is ostensibly family-oriented. And uh, she didn't respond to me. I don't I don't know why. She didn't want to continue the discourse. Yeah. But uh, I'll Actually, never just, forget that. It, like, Right. Yeah, I'm mean, saying. You know but what, the other thing was, one of the other movies on the bad list was Bruno Mattai's Rats, and the, she admitted in the article that she hadn't seen Rats, but she saw the that just from looking at the reading the video box, she knew it must suck. And so for that one, I had to give her kudos because Rats is pretty terrible. Right. But still, well, at least just... she admitted to having not seen it, in which case, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it invalidates uh, her opinion, but at least you could respect that she's not trying to pretend to know something she doesn't. Yeah, at least you're, yeah, being, well, you're being honest that you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I, I yeah. think, you know, that that is, uh, 
that encapsulates some of what Jason was just saying about the internet. And, you know, people want to form their opinions based on, you know, having seen a meme. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, it's like, why, yeah. why don't we get just a little deeper under the surface than that on some things? <laughs> but, but uh, you know, we, we, we do, tr we do uh, tangent a little far here. So I want to bring you back. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to ask you guys, uh, is this movie Jaws? And let me, as I do in every episode, go through the Jaws scale with you before I ask you that. If you, the the Jaws scale is ranked differently than what I think of the actual Jaws movies, with the exception of the original Jaws, which I do rank this way. If you rank it as Jaws, you're saying it's a classic movie, one of the all-time greats, should be on the list of all-time greats, very few flaws, if any, and certainly none that affect the uh, enjoy enjoyability of watching the movie. Jaws 2 would be... Good, solid movie, not too many mistakes, can hold up to repeated viewings. Jaws 3, not bad, somewhat entertaining, nothing special. Jaws 4, a bomb. Where do you rank Frankenstein meets the Wolfman? And uh, you, whichever of you would like to go first, please feel free. <laughs> you go, Lou. All right. Well, see, like I said, for me, I, I do enjoy this one. But it's not. Uh, I, I I like other ones in the series better, and that's. I understand that's kind of a cop out when you're looking at just a film. So when I watch this, it's the first time I'd watched this in a few years. I ranked it a Jaws three. It's a it's a good movie. It's 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 worth watching, but to me, it's not as good as specifically its immediate successor, House of Frankenstein, which I think does some things better. Has a much better mad scientist role played by Boris Karloff has an excellent uh, performance by um, uh, J. Carol Na uh, J. Carol Nash as the uh, uh, the hunchback, has a much better Frankenstein's monster in uh, Glenn Strange. But that having been said, Lon Chaney Jr. is just as good in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman as he is in House of Frankenstein. So if I could, if I, if, uh, you know, in engineering, we talk about having a K factor where we adjust things. I would put a little bit of a K factor on my Jaws 3 to push it up a little bit. But uh, to me, this is a Jaws 3, but definitely worth, totally worth watching and worth checking out, uh, even if it's not, in my opinion, one of the upper echelon of what is admittedly a very good series of films. Okay, fair enough. Jason? Yeah. Um, I, I agree with a lot of Luke, what Luke said, and I, I definitely agree that uh, House of Frankenstein is, is a great, you know, that the movie that comes right after is, is a great one. To me, this is, is going to have to, I mean, it's, a Jaws, it's Jaws 2. Uh, and because I think it's because I'm such a Wolfman fan and this is truly the sequel that we got to the Wolfman. It's always going to hold a special place with me. Um, it, 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 it not being shown as often, uh, I think makes it some kind, it kind of holds more of a special place with me. Cause again, it's, I, I, I watched it today and I'm like, I probably haven't watched this cause it's just not been on. The last time I watched it was when I watched the DVD when the DVD set came out. Uh, however many years ago, and it's just not on TV, so it's something you have to go seek out, and it's not that I don't want to seek it out, but I actually was watching all the Frankenstein movies with my daughter in order, 
You know, we started with Frankenstein and we ended Bride. I mean, she, I think we've seen Bride a whole slew of times because Haley loves Bride of Frankenstein. She had never seen this. And I'm watching this with her, and I saw her eyes get huge when he turns into the werewolf. And she's like, oh, the Wolfman! It's really the Wolfman! Like, it's just that joy in her because she loves her monsters. And I think that's one of the reasons why this is maybe a higher... I think Luke said it the best. It's a three with that, K, you know, the K factor, kind of move it up. This is not, a, you know, it's not like on the edge of a two to a one. This is closer to the edge of a two and a three. But if you're, you know, if you have to look at like absolutes to put it in, to me, it's a two. Um, it's going to always hold this place, special place for me. Um, it's a movie that I've seen as a kid. We've seen this thing, you know, dozens and dozens of times. Um, it's funny as, as the movie's going on again, I haven't seen this in years. I start actually saying the lines to the movie. He died four years ago. You know, kind of like, I mean, I knew it. And Kelly's like, what are you doing? I go, I know the line. She goes, how do you know that? You haven't seen this movie in a long time. I said, oh, this movie means something to me, so I remember it. You know, mm -hmm. and that to me was why it moves into that. It's definitely not in, you know, Jaws 1 level kind of thing. I mean, I think, you know, we're talking there is much closer to maybe the original Wolfman. But this is a, a good, solid movie you're going to enjoy watching. Uh, to me, it's always enjoyable. This is something that's great. This movie, I, I'll be honest with you, it's, you know, you need to watch this movie in like October, November, yes. right? When the when the leaves are changing, there's a little chill in the air, you know, where like you're sitting there going, whoo, maybe there's a fire crackling, you know, that's that's when this movie needs to be watched. This is not, you know, uh, summertime, you know, like, hey, this is the kind of movie that I think uh, benefits from, um, you know, maybe, maybe I don't drink but maybe maybe you're having a like you know you're sitting by the fire with a sun a nice warm you know whatever uh you know like a mold wine you know kind of thing uh kind of whatever <laughs> you know you know what i'm saying right it's one of those movies that benefits from the atmosphere around it and i and to me uh, always fun great to watch it again it's uh and it's a lot of fun to talk about this movie obviously we all love it to, to some extent we all appreciate what's there because we have been yabbering about this thing for a while so Mold wine. Thank you, Clarence. That's exactly what that brings wine. to mind for me. <laughs> <laughs> we serve hard liquor to people who want to get it's drunk. Delicious. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be the tiebreaker on this one uh, for obvious reasons, uh, and I'm going to I'm going to side with Jason on it. I'm going with yours too for me on this. Uh, I think it's got some real repeat viewing ability. It's not something that I put into you know like where I could see myself watching it. You know in a very, very short period of time a second time. But pretty much any time, if this find its, finds its way onto AMC or uh, Turner Classic Movies, which is a more likely place, and I see it's on, I'm stopping, I'm watching it. Uh, I mm -hmm. think the flaws that we talked about with it, I don't really feel like any of them take away from the enjoyability of watching this movie. So I don't want to put too much weight on those. And... For me, you know, you put the two monsters together, even though it's primarily a Wolfman movie, you put the two monsters together and it just brings out the little kid in me the, the way, like, a dinosaur movie does. Uh, you know, I, I have a, a, a long-standing love of these characters, and this movie does not let me down as far as I'm concerned. So I go with Jaws 2 with it. Alright. Anyway. Sounds good to me. Uh, what? I want to throw one thing in real quick, because I, I saw this before. Um, and, and I, I had actually to look it up. You know the the scene with the the matte painting of the town, right? Uh, Ver, uh, Vasseri or uh, Vasseri, whatever they call the Vasseri, town, right? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at that matte painting. I go, well, they didn't make that matte painting for this movie. It's actually the matte painting from My Little Chickadee. 
They reused it. Because <laughs> I'm looking at the going, I go, they didn't make that for this movie. And Kelly goes, what are you talking about? I go, I got to look it up. I go, I know it's got to be from something. It's from My Little Chickadee. Just want to throw that out there because I'm usually the trivia guy on the vault, you know, kind of thing. Um, but because, you know, I mean, they took a lot of time making the graveyard and stuff and all that stuff. I'm like, wow, that's yeah. a really good map painting. They didn't make that for this movie because that I, map I, painting I, I was will... taken. A while. I I will I will tell you the other thing from a technical standpoint that is to me is always astounding about this film is at when they're fighting at the end they're having the 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 uh, the monster throwdown and Mm -hmm. they they uh, the guy blows the dam and it floods out the castle and they flood the little model of the castle which is a cool little model that they made of the castle the dam and the waterfall and all that but when they are running at each other and. All that water comes in from the ceiling. Yep. That is astoundingly cool right mm. there. I'm just going to say that because you know that, I mean, there's no other way to rig that in 1943 other than to have a, a basically a swimming pool on top of the set <laughs> and stagehands there to rig it to ump, ump, and they just get doused with water. It's a great little shot. It, and it's like, you know, that cost a lot of money and it's only on screen for like a second. You know, <laughs> it's one of those great things with, with uh, with horror and science fiction, sometimes the most expensive shot in the film in there for 24 frames, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, so. it is amazing when you start breaking things like that down and looking at it that yeah. closely. <laughs> but I want I want to thank you both for coming on and discussing this movie tonight. And uh, I thank had a lot you of for fun. Us. I had a lot thank of fun. You very with much. It. I yeah. hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And bef- just before we oh, yeah. call it a day, why don't you tell anybody listening where they can find you? Go LP. All right, well, um, uh, you can find me on uh, Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast, which is my uh, trip into the wild and sometimes woolly and wacky world of Japanese giant monsters. That's at Two True Freaks Network. And you can also find me and my brother over on the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, which is the uh, hometown horror show uh, at the Two True Freaks Network, uh, where... Uh, the two of us, along with uh, the hair metal hero Chris Tyler and Chris Honeywell, look at all sorts of uh, the world of the genre of horror. We're currently working our way through two new series. We've started the Hammer Horror series, as I uh, was mentioned earlier, as well as taking a look at the Nightmare on Elm Street films. And we're also going to be working some uh, issues of Marvel's classic Tomb of Dracula into that as well. So both of those can be found on uh, twotruefreaks.com, the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Uh, in addition to that, you can also find me on Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie podcast, uh, where um, it's not always my dad with me. Sometimes there's just me, some, and in the future there'll be other people, but usually it's me and dad. Uh, Mosey on back to the days of big old bugs and uh, special effects you know, done by Ray Harryhausen and uh, the like and stuff like that. We... Um, we definitely are. Uh, uh, we have some new, some different stuff coming up for folks. I know some people. Um, I know our them episode was very, very popular and stuff, and people seem to like the giant bugs. We're gonna try and hit some, um, some newer stuff and some different stuff as we go. Um, always trying to, you know, keep stuff out there for people. That's on the Choo Choo Freaks uh, network as well. Um, look us up there. And if you want to purchase anything we spoke about today, go to the Choo Choo Freaks website. Click on the Amazon link because that's what helps keeps the lights on here. So. I'm also the shill. I'm I'm the trivia guy in the shill. That's what I am. So, <laughs> uh, thank yes, you for I, your I shilling. Say, 
Uh, uh, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman is available on a two-disc oh, yes. set, with Ghost of Frankenstein, and then also available in the Werewolf Legacy, the Wolfman Legacy box set, and the new version of the Frankenstein Legacy box set. So any of those would be fine additions to your home media library if you are so inclined to uh, uh, check out some classic um, uh, Universal horrors. And also, what's coming why out? Why wouldn't you be so inclined? Really... Sorry. No, the, what do you call it? the? Just want to piggyback what Luke said real quick. Um, the Blu-ray sets of those are coming out. I know I have them pre-ordered. Um, I pre-ordered actually. I ordered a set of the Frankenstein's from my house and a set of the Frankenstein's from my dad's house. Um, uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman is in the Frankenstein set, which is coming out in a few weeks. It was, I think it's September. I don't remember exactly when it's coming out, um, but it's the Blu-rays. And it's also in the wolf, the werewolf set. Now, in the Wolfman set, you get um, the Wolfman, you get the Werewolf of London, She-Wolf of London, and then you get um, oh, uh, Frank, Frank Sammy's the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, Abbott Costello. So I think that's like 16 bucks or something like that, or maybe 20 bucks. It's crazy what you're getting for that price, but hey, it's all good. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> no problem at all. No problem at all. It's, those are all good recommendations. Great ways to get this thing. But once again, thanks yeah. for coming on, guys. Anybody listening who has any feedback, anybody who wants to give their own opinions on these movies, suggest movies to be covered, anything like that, uh, the email address is jawspodcast at gmail.com. So I, I welcome feedback, and I also welcome uh, iTunes reviews for anybody who's so inclined. And thank you for listening. Baggage room. London. Calling here? Uh, St. Clect, is it? Oh, all right, put them on. Hello? Do you have two crates addressed to the McDougal House of Horrors? Uh, what's the number on the checks? Oh, never mind that. Tonight the moon will be full here. I haven't much time. Now listen closely. I'm flying out of here at dawn. Under no circumstances are you to deliver those crates until I arrive. Understand? Under... Mr. McDougal, will you stop gargling your throat? You'll have to get your dog away from the phone. I can't hear a word you're saying. You're awful silly to call me all the way from London just to have your dog talk to me. That's a fine conversation. A guy growls like a wolf.